not only have young people been undervalued for their contribution in the workforce, but undervalued for their skills and policymaking. I hate the term opportunity youth. However, fosters do not have the luxury to be disconnected from work or school. I'm a fierce advocate for youth. Passionate about young people, but also about evening out the scales via social capital. This is the Young People Lead Podcast. Let's activate our generation. Welcome to episode four of season one of the Young People's Lead Podcast series. In this episode, we will take a look at young people engaging in the workforce. But first, let us tell you about the podcast series. This exciting new series is hosted by youth policy consultants from the American Youth Policy Forum, powered by Children's Defense Fund. This is the podcast that demonstrates young people can and should lead by telling stories from the front lines of where youth are transforming policies for the better, as well as examining research on policies that affect us most. In this season, we are standing on policy. That's right, season one is dedicated to standing on policy, activating our generation throughout the season six of us youth policy consultants will take you or listeners on a journey to understand how young people make a difference in the policies that affect them the most. We will talk to experts, researchers, and youth leaders working on policies and education, the legal system, child welfare in the workforce. If you are a young person looking to catalyze change, this podcast is for you. We also invite researchers and leaders in youth-focused organizations across the country to listen in because we are sure you're going to want to hear what our forthright guests and passionate young adult policy consultants have to say. If you care about the well-being of or young people and or you are excited about seeing young people leading the way to a brighter future. Stay tuned, you're going to the series. Hi, my name's Cody Rooney, and I'm the host of 
Cody. I am based in D.C. I'm an organizer, a policy advocate, a social justice nerd. I really come to this space as someone who is incredibly passionate about young people, but also about evening out the scales via social capital. So, Cody, you got to tell me, why this topic? Why workforce? Workforce is a tricky topic as person who is fasted to my cerebral palsy. I can't just for burgers at McDonald's or buy groceries in supermarkets. Entering the workforces home because you need a degree. I've done both unpaid and paid internship, and now I'm entering the workforce basically self-employed and many consulting opportunities have came up my advocacy work, but I haven't found a full-time position. Now I'm in school and working towards what I need for a full-time job. If I have kids, I don't want them to know what poverty is I have realized the reality of disabled people having to fight to nail for any job, never mind a well-paying job like a manager or a CEO job. Yeah, because it's about access too, right? And we, we look around and wonder why certain spaces aren't diverse, don't have different abled abilities, don't have different races, genders, et cetera. And it's it's because the access isn't there. Um, and so reimagining that, I agree with you, Cody. I'm excited to learn more about how to advocate for better Horses in the workforce, so 
let's introduce you to our guests. We have two wonderful guests here with us today. Alexis is a change maker for a youth organization called New Deal for Youth. And she's done tremendous work interacting with policymakers over the year. And we are very excited to have her in this episode. Also, we have Mary Kay Dugan. She is a researcher at the American Institute of Research specializing her work on opportunities is a strong advocate for change and that will positively impact use and we're also excited to have her in this episode and so right now I like to ask each of you to just briefly spin upon that intro and tell us a bit about yourself. Alexis, can you tell us about yourself? Hey, my name is Alexis. I'm an advocate and a cat mom and a lover of art and I live in Los Angeles. I just wanted to be on this podcast to inspire people to think outside the box and to dig deeper than the nine to five and to not be afraid to challenge societal norms. No one really talked to me about what I wanted to do with my life. I was going to community college and doing 18 and 21 units and working three and four jobs. And it's so funny. I was having this conversation with another foster youth. Like no one could possibly physically work that much. Well, we have to because there's nobody else who's going to work for us. We don't have a choice. Everything in my life was centered around working a nine to five and making capitalistic companies richer. And so as I was wrapping up my bachelor's in social work, I realized I didn't want to work for minimum wage and not have any tax breaks and not see any economic growth. What people told me I couldn't do five years ago, people are doing now. Five years ago, I was starting my consultant route. I was told that what I'm doing now would never be lucrative. And so that's kind of what inspired me to really be on this podcast and also just the advocacy that I do in my life. I take as many kids as I can so I know how it feels. Now I would like to hear from Mary Kay. And why are you interested in this topic of 
of youth in the workforce. Thanks, Cody, and thanks so much for inviting me to the podcast. I've been a researcher, I've been a consultant, and I've been working in this field of youth development for more than 30 years, and I've seen a lot of things change and a lot of things that are just not changing fast enough. I've spent a lot of my career working with young people and trying to understand how to connect them better to opportunities for education and how to build skills that will open up good, well-paying jobs. And I've just had a lot of fun working alongside groups of people in community and with young people to develop policies and to importantly make sure that we're really engaging young people who've often been left out of the conversation for such a long time about important things that impact their life. And what Alexis was referring to, it's important as we develop policy that we engage and we get young people involved. And I'm very passionate about seeing that young people are the drivers of the solution. And I'm just excited to be here today on the podcast to talk about workforce policy. Thank you so much. Let's jump right into this conversation. Alexis, can you tell us about how you experience the workforce currently? Like, as a disclaimer, I volunteer preparing taxes for foster youth. And while preparing their taxes, some common themes that I've seen a lot are some of them just do not have workforce knowledge or general tax knowledge, including myself, honestly. When I first started, what is a W-2? What is a W-4? What's a 1099? What is a 1099 NEC? All these things are very confusing and if you don't have that knowledge beforehand, you're just signing things that you have no idea that you're signing. When I was entering the workforce, I don't want to say anything bad, but I got connected through the American Job Center. And it was just kind of like, read these forms. Here's a W-2. I still didn't understand it. Nobody sat down with me. They gave me the forms and walked back to their office and then came back and were like, did you finish the W-2? And so like that wasn't very helpful and that wasn't like mentorship or the professional development that I needed. So 10 years between my life starting the workforce and seeing other people in the workforce and you're telling me that nothing has changed. Um, when I started doing 1099 work, no one told me that I needed to set aside 35% of my income as an independent contractor. So I'm thinking I'm making $1,000 a month tax-free yeah, but that's not a lot when you take 35% of your taxes. And yes, because these are the things that people do not teach you. So it's just so many different things that go into the workforce that we have to stop thinking so narrowly and stop starting so basic and help people who are at different levels. That's so real, though, what you're talking about, Alexis, this idea of social capital and those who have resources and those who don't, you know, and we we tend to, in our society, replicate the oppressive structures that already exist. So I just wanted to call that out because it's something I've experienced. And even around talking about money, like <laughs> even saying like, hey, I want to be paid a wage that I like can uh, afford to, to pay my light bill and not feel guilty about it. Like you're you're hitting on some some solid points there. 
person that resonated with me, you know, with the patch ones, is that I got my first patch ones and went to this ancient old book and they wanted way more than I was getting so it was like okay you send me this force but you don't say here's some free places to go to and these old disability organizations. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add also that, you know, the Vita service, I don't know how to say it. I, I always say it interchangeably, Vita, Vita, V-I-T-A. They're a federal program. They are supposed to have sites throughout the United States. And you can go on the IRS website and find them. So yeah, for free. If you like doing your taxes, by yourself, you can also do that for free on the IRS website. So, yeah. Good boy. Mary Kay, can you provide a brief overview of the challenges and barriers that youth face and turn and stay in their workforce? especially in more recent years. Thanks, Cody. I just wanted to to say, Alexis, you know, you hit it right where, you know, we know from, from all the work that we do in community, it's really challenging to figure out the array of resources and the supports and the programs and community and training that might be able to help young people. So a lot of the focus really is on some of the things you talked about in, in programs that we know that work, which is connecting people to mentors and to people that can help them when they're first getting into the workforce make those connections to jobs and, and start to get those skills that are needed. So that's been really important. You know, COVID set us back for a number of different reasons. It disproportionately impacted young people in that they were first to be laid off from their jobs. And a lot of that had to do with the types of jobs when you're working in the service industry. We saw those being shut down. There was this disruption. There was this period of time when people were in school, they were trying to get training. And they weren't able to get that. And that has been a difficult thing to rebound from. But I think the positive thing is we're starting to see those participation rates and unemployment rates for young people starting to come back. But there's still barriers. I mean, you talked about some of them. It's everything from the structural kinds of things that we find in community, just not having access to transportation to get to your job or your internship or ability to pay for it. Maybe you're taking care of kids or you've got siblings you're taking care of. You know, how do you find with childcare so high, you know, an opportunity to be able to really fully engage in work? And, you know, there are communities for which we know there's really been underinvestment and disinvestment by businesses and things in those communities to really provide good employment. And we're seeing a change in the types of jobs, like what you described, Alexis, with lots of part-time employment and the lack of benefits 
And then there's just individuals that are first starting to get into the workforce and they need to learn some of the, you know, sort of initial skills about how to navigate and how to write a resume. But I just wanted to throw out a couple of positive things that I am seeing out there. One is there's been this big growth in a lot of programs out there, summer youth training programs that provide opportunities for people first entering the workforce to get some early experience during the summer and be able to try some things out. And those are really a great thing. The other thing we know is really working and some of the programs at embedded in the community colleges or integrated education and training where you go both to school and you can train and you can be working at the same time. And those are really promising because you're you're not just all in school or all working, but it's an opportunity to build those skills that'll put you on a career path. And then I also just wanted to point out apprenticeships. If people haven't considered apprenticeship programs, youth apprenticeship is another way that we know works where you can train and get technical skills, but also have paid uh, work experience, which is, which is so important. Take advantage of your school. If you're in school, take advantage of your local workforce office, which, which provides opportunities to help you job search, write your resume, and get involved in training programs. I think you mentioned that, Alexis, like, look out, look out for where you can find people who are doing jobs that you want to do and talk to them, find resources out there and take advantage of any of those resources you can. Um, thank you for that. It is always good to look out the positive and something I hear a lot is well if you don't advocate and go out and find resources you won't get those resources I also want to ask you, Mary Kay, we would love to hear more about what opportunities are and what the research tells us about them. Yes, Cody, uh, you're, you're absolutely right with the advocacy piece, but it's also important that there are programs and services out there. And there's ways to navigate those. And that's one of the things that we've been doing as sort of a research practitioner group is learning and figuring out better ways to involve youth and help them figure out how to navigate these sets of supports. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about you know, opportunity youth in response to your question and a little bit about what we're learning there. And for those of you that are listening in and want to know opportunity youth or young people between 16 and 24 that are not in school and not in working, there's there's probably more than 5 million opportunity youth out there. And you might say, well, why do we call them opportunity youth? It's a term to refer to opportunity youth because of potential they have. You've probably heard other more negative terms in the past, but the idea is people, if given equitable opportunities to figure out what they like, to have opportunities to learn, to build relationships with people who can mentor them, that's sort of the key, the secret sauce for how opportunity youth can get engaged. And, you know, 
unfortunately, what we do know is that opportunity youth are everywhere. They're in every community, they're in rural, they're in urban areas, but they're disproportionately people of color and they're disproportionately people who live in communities, as I mentioned, that have been historically underinvested. To change this, it's going to be really, really critical to connect young people to the right kinds of training programs that keep them interested and motivated. And it's fun to mention a couple of things that we're learning about things that do work out there. And one is exactly what Alexis was talking about is programs out there that provide adult partnership and mentoring that offer an, an ability to get the skills and work alongside someone and also get the training that you need. We're also seeing things called re-engagement, which, which involves programs that might be in your community where staff reach out to individuals that are not in school and people that aren't working to try to make a connection with them and find out like what are the barriers? What are the, the issues that may prevent you from being able to go to work? And you know, if that's childcare or that's transportation helping you to find those sorts of supports and services in your community. And the last thing that we're learning about opportunity youth is that having paid work opportunities is just so important for young people to be able to um, have on-the-job experience. And they can do that in a lot of different ways. It could be through internships. Um, when you're when you're young, you can be part of a summer employment program. Um, as you as you as you get older, there's a lot of different. Um, um, programs that can help you to be able to gain those skills and also um, earn a living wage and, and get paid at the same time. Uh, thank you so much for that guidance and rundown on what's happening at the research front. I do want to go to Alexis and just ask what does opportunity use mean to you and how do we support them? Yeah, thanks Cody. So um yes. First I graduated in COVID. So been there, done that. Yes. <laughs> when I was in school, I was the type of person who, you know, I didn't want to learn about stuff people were telling me to learn about. I was a straight D and F student and proud of it. And I still am. And so if it wasn't for my one mentor and he was my educational mentor, if it wasn't for him taking me to my community college, taking me into the classroom to take the test, sitting down and explaining to me the process and then supporting me through the process, I wouldn't be this resilient, fierce, amazing advocate that I am today with this bomb education. And so there are people who are there to support us. There are people who care and there are people making a difference. But unfortunately, there are a lot more people who aren't. And it's just unfortunate because I was an opportunity youth. I was an opportunity youth when they called us at-risk youth. And so if you want to give youth an opportunity, give them the opportunity. Stop putting barriers like age, citizenship, race, foster youth status, school status, 
things like that against people, services should be needs-based and not age-based. I hate the term opportunity youth. Our definition is weird because it states that you have to be disconnected from work or school to be an opportunity youth. However, fosters do not have the luxury to be disconnected from work or school. And some of us don't even have the support system and we must work multiple jobs. And it's time to get pe people better jobs and it's time to get people into positions where they actually grow from them and not just internships where they last for three or four months and then we pass them on and then there's no extra growth. Not There's no job opportunities. There's no connections to support. There's no connections to communities. There's none of that. And so we need actual growth. We need actual social services and we need actual connections to communities. And the only way we're going to get that is by hearing from young people who are impacted daily by these policies that are passed. Oh, my gosh, Alexa, you are just touching on so many truths. I really felt something that you said about the exhaustion that you experience in communities and um, leveraging your lived experience to kind of get in the room and explain why your your insights are valuable. Uh, but to constantly have to explain it. And then once you get there and doing it all over again, and that last piece that you said about these fellowships that are great, awesome opportunities, but it kind of ends there. That fatigue is real. So I just wanted to name that and uh, just uh, validate that you are not alone in that. Oh, wow. Amazing. I just want to give Mary Kay a opportunity to respond to what Alexis just said. Thanks, Cody. Yeah, Alexis and Kyla, I just I don't want to echo what you're saying. You know, it, it shouldn't be exhausting. We should be doing better and we should be bringing people to the table. You know, not only have young people been undervalued for their contribution in the workforce, but undervalued for their skills in policy making, and especially people with lived experience. Oh, thank you for that response. Now I want to ask what is the key to youth engagement in policy making, especially as it pertains to the workforce. It needs to be youth-centered. I mean, it, it really needs to be youth-centered. And I had this great opportunity here recently. I'm in Seattle, Washington with some young people who are incarcerated. And oftentimes in a setting like that, people don't respect you. There's all of the stigma that's associated with that. We had an opportunity to really bring young people to the table to help us make policy around what's best for their education and their career. Invite them to really be in charge and define what the problems are. Bring them to the table as members of our advisory group, just like we would a policymaker or one of our legislatures to bring them to the table. And over the course of several months, we worked together to come up with recommendations and ended up writing a report to the legislature about the things that they cared most about, which was very empowering and included writing new policies about how even in confinement you can access and explore your careers. You have a right to that. So I just wanted to say that there's been some opportunity to do that, but we certainly don't do it enough. 
an opportunity youth, and I know that term <laughs> people like or don't like that term, but for, for individuals that may fall into that definitional group, at least, they've been marginalized that we need to bring people to the table in policymaking and other work that are really living that and being part of the solution. Yes. I also want to say five, 10 years ago, people were writing legislation, whether you liked it or not, period. And now people are taking a step back and at least asking, presenting, working with young people in some capacity, the shift towards working with young people, doing some sort of collaboration, creating youth boards, whether it be a youth commission. Those are really amazing. And those are very innovative because they didn't really have those five or 10 years ago. Those are really, really cool. Right now, young people are not involved in the policymaking process as much as I'd like them to be. If there was one thing that I'd like people to take away from what I'm talking about, it would please, please learn the difference between youth-led, youth-centered, and youth-driven. And I know that all of these sound the same or interchangeable, but they're not. And they all hold their own weight and their own value. And I cannot stress that enough. I would just like to see more authentic youth engagement and policymaking. And I know New Deal for Youth is working on that. Check us out, little shameless plug. I don't care. No, I love it. I love it. When we think about generational prosperity and growth, these are our dreams, our aspirations, right? What do you feel like a workforce that actually benefits youth would look like to have generational wealth and be able to think past day-to-day struggles? Yeah, this I like this question a lot because I think that when people hear this question, the first thing that they think is money and money is great. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's, again, that generational knowledge. So it's just those innovative ideas that aren't always money driven. And I think that just in this capitalistic society, we're always thinking what that money lens. And sometimes it just needs to be a community lens. I love that. I love that. And we just we get so bureaucratic. Mary Kay, let's talk about quality improvement, consistent quality improvement. What do you feel like community engagement could be used to make a plan moving forward to get youth at the table? Like, what do you feel like we're missing there? I, I want to just respond to, you know, your question and what Alexis said, and I think she's absolutely right. When I was talking about engaging some of the young people that were incarcerated, the things that they talked about is wanting to be better off for future generations. So it's it's very clear young people are really thinking about future generations and how to improve that. And just, it is a fundamental human right to have equitable access to education, to have access to an ability to work and live and thrive. Those things require sometimes money, but they require breaking down structural barriers that exist, which means that we have to look at upstream, what are the root causes, right? The community is where to start. And each community brings its own rich set of assets, of resources, of ways of of working with it. And for too long, we have undervalued community voice. And we've said, oh, no, we know how to fix things for you. There is so much innovation out there. And, And if I could see anything, I would really like to see us get young people involved in everything that we do because the community knows how the community thrives, whether it's safety, violence, whether it's workforce, whether it's something 
something else. That's part of what we all can do as researchers, as citizens, as other people who live in the community is all learn how to bring everyone together to sort of solve the problems. And it's amazing uh, what we can see. That's so beautiful. Just quickly before I pass it to Cody, what I what I heard you say too is that we're rebuilding what was stripped away, whether it was based on class, race, et cetera, right? What has been stripped away from communities um, and, and thinking about how to build their power. Um, that's that's amazing. Sometimes we forget young people don't come alone. They they have a village. Yeah, I want to go to that in the world. Is vision moving for for use in the labor force? I just hope that instead of romanticizing young people and romanticizing the struggles that young people have to go through, people start seeing the amazing talent, dedication, and professionalism that is hidden behind the poverty, behind the undocumented status, behind the barriers, behind the age, behind the disabilities, behind the mental health disorders, just behind all the barriers that young people possess in this world. And I hope that we can use these skills to just create a better world for everyone. When they hear that I'm a foster youth, I've done what I've done, the first thing they say, oh my God, you're such an inspiration. It's like, what? Like, why? Tell me how, tell me how I'm an inspiration. Because I'm not. I don't have a choice. I have to live this life or else I'd be homeless. They just see the resiliency. And so I wish people didn't romanticize that part of my life. That's what I hope for the future. I just wanted to say that I think it's really important to keep highlighting the issues, Alexis, because we know that if you want attention in the federal space to have change, that we have to continue to highlight the issues that you're highlighting and get the attention of people. And and funding is important at that big federal landscape to be able to really support the kinds of things that are going to need to happen. And I hope that there will be money that will be put into resources. Jobs are changing five years from now. We can't even predict some of the jobs with AI and the things that are going on. It's going to completely change. And so we're going to need a workforce that's constantly being trained, right? But if we don't pay attention to that and do something about this now and think about how to work together within community and where people live and to support the community. I hope that we can continue to pay attention to highlight the issues and see more young people really authentically being involved and in community and working on the solutions. It just doesn't happen often enough. It, it mostly goes the way Alexis says, whereas our policymakers are making decisions. So put a plug in. If you're uh, not registered to vote, register to vote, you know, do things that you can do within your of influence. Uh, thank you both. The shared um, wealth are out, you know, inside experiences. I appreciate you all just being raw and vulnerable. And my hope 
for the listeners all throughout the series, especially this one, is that they can take away from these conversations and be active advocates in their own community where it's just simple as vote or as big as helping write a lot. I really hopeful for our future and and now I appreciate you too for taking time. Thanks, Cody. Been a great conversation. This was fun for me. So thank you all for the privilege of being able to do this and spending time with you. It really um, was fun. Thank you. I learned so much from both of your insights. So as Cody said, I, I hope for an opportunity to, to be in community again. Thank you both so, so much. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, everyone. This was really cool. Glad to have this space with you all. Wow, that was such a great conversation with Alexis and Mary Kay. Kyla, let's talk about Omega. Take Yeah, I mean, so many. I just, I keep thinking about our call to action to legislators, right? Work with us, train us. I think that there's so much that we can learn from each other. And the more that we normalize, you know, that mutuality, I think that both of us will, will benefit. So I don't know, what do you think? My vision is a workforce that isn't a stranger to you saying your doubts and significant rule. I would like to see young people in positions of power, especially in policy work. We all don't only want to know what we want. You're so right, Cody. We don't need to wait for them to invite us, right? Like you said, like we can show up, we can share what we want our workforce to look like. No matter your background, we all deserve to have equal access to good employment opportunities as we build this new world over let's make sure young people are shaped in this vision for the future and let's let young people lead thank you for listening to this so ascending on policy activating our generation the first season in the young people 
only podcast led by the youth posting consultants for American youth posting for power by children defense fund. This is the podcast that demonstrates young people can and should lead by telling stories from the front lines of youth changing policy, as well as examining the research on policies that most affect us. This series is a sister series to the Crabble Messenger podcast release. In 2020 to 2023, by AYPF, and available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is funded by the American Youth Policy Forum, powered by Children's Defense Fund, in collaboration with the American Institutes for Research. Season one of Tyra Beeman, Jordan Wilson, Daphne Sanchez, and myself, Cody Rudy. We believe that young people can lead in the legal system, child welfare, education, and we're forced to show posts that encourage our success. This show is produced, edited, and mixed by Sarah Daggett of Daggett Consulting, LLC. Thanks for listening. Next episode is on the child welfare system hosted by Daphne Sanchez and co-hosted by Jordan Wilson. And they are speaking with some amazing guests. You won't want to miss it.